Hi, this is Pat Blythe, and welcome to Love the Music. These are the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. It's the first day of February, 2022. It's been many weeks since the release of my last podcast featuring Ember Swift, and so much has happened since then. I took a bit of a hiatus and managed to squeeze in a trip to England to visit family. Then there were the Christmas holidays, with more unexpected disruptions wreaking havoc on most of our plans due to the rapid rise of a new virus variant. It seemed, in a heartbeat for many of us, Christmas was once again a solitary event. In the broad scheme of things, not much has changed since June of 2020 when I began these conversations, never suspecting we'd still be dealing with this pandemic two years later. There are still lockdowns, people sickening and dying. Frustration levels and mistrust are at an all-time high, travel plans upended, and the education of our young constantly interrupted. But the music just keeps on coming. It's a constantly changing landscape, and sometimes it's a struggle to remain optimistic. But I am. I'm hoping that once we get over this hump, 2022 will prove to be a better year for all of us, but especially for live performance. January 26th of this year was my first podcast anniversary. I launched the Pandemic Interview Series podcast with Juno Award-winning drummer Paul DeLong and have released 38 episodes to date. The series has graduated from recording straight from my phone to using a tiny lapel mic to the luxury of recording in a sound studio. Composer, engineer, musician John Jameson is the owner of Soundhouse Studio and has been a gift to this series. He's taught me much about the nuances of audio recording, editing, mixing, and how to speak into a mic. John and his wife Cindy have honored me with their friendship and their belief in what I'm doing. There are not enough words to thank them. To begin the new year is my conversation with Jerry Mosby and Syl Simone. Close friends and collaborators, I met Syl when he was performing in the cast of O Canada, What a Feeling, at the Princess of Wales Theatre in 2015. I met Jerry in 1979 when he was the bassist in Rheingold, a classical prog rock band formed by Lawrence Gowan. Both Syl and Jerry are highly respected musicians, composers, and vocalists. Jerry is focused on producing session work and jingle writing over the years. Syl currently performs with the Chicago tribute band Brass Transit and has also contributed his guitar skills to Pretzel Logic, Tom Cochran, Liberty Silver, and so many more. Both have an extensive list of credits too numerous to list here, but include works with Valdi, Alfie's Apocosta, Ronnie Hawkins, The Hunt, Triumph, The Arrows, and Rick Emmett. I'm here with Syl Simone. Hello, everybody. And Jerry Mosby. Hello, hello, hello. Two Toronto-based musicians that have, between the two of them, done damn near everything, played with damn near everybody. They are musicians, composers, performers, producers, singers, songwriters, and friends. Absolutely. Yes. Poised at the end of 2019, looking into 2020. What did you think you'd be doing last year? How much of an impact did the pandemic have on your lives? Well, the pandemic, I remember being, uh, I was playing in Port Credit with my trio, Shore Grill and Grotto, and that was, you know, right around March, middle of March. And I, re- I was booked again to play there in May, and I really thought, by May we'll be back, you know, when they started shutting things down. And man, was I wrong, you know? So, um, 
I mean, uh, it took a lot of getting used to. I mean, like everybody else, you, uh, I have my studio, and so I got busy with studio projects and whatever, but missing the live uh, performance um, and being basically exiled from any sort of live performance, that was a bit rough. And as it kept going on and on with uncertainty, that was even worse. And uh, But <clears throat> hopefully now we're coming out of it. But I managed to stay busy, keep the family unit sane, and, um, you know, just hope for the best. So, But I, I took the time to really um, just work on guitar, work on... I've been doing a lot of music. Um, we're actually shooting another video today for uh, a song uh, Jerry produced and I wrote called Mississippi Crawl. It's been done for a while, and so now we can... I'm, I'm going to be shooting him and... Um, I'll be doing the video, I'll probably be ready in, a, I don't know, two, three weeks. So um, lots of projects like that and just now starting to get back to the live thing. But, you know, like everybody else, I mean, uh, I'm a really up guy, but it was, you know, it's devastating, really. I mean, the effects it's had on not just your per personal lives, and um, but on your professional life, too, because all of a sudden, you know, it stopped. Jerry, what did you think you'd be doing last year? Well, when the when we first heard news of the pandemic, I think it was this early news at the end of 2019. My wife and I, we spend our winters in our place in Costa Rica. Yes, I read that in your bio. So we go to Costa Rica, and we usually spend three months there, sometimes a little longer, sometimes a little less. And we heard about this thing in, uh, I guess, November. We were down there, and uh, we were planning on coming back, I think, in March and uh, we uh, thought nothing of it, actually, because there was no news, really. Uh, we, we don't watch CNN. We don't watch it. That's the whole idea of going to Costa Rica is we watch howler monkeys, and we hike through the forest, and we swim in the ocean, and we have a... That's our life there. And uh, I, I heard little bits and pieces of things, and we had booked ourselves uh, to come back on March the 12th, 2020, and we got on the plane, and we said goodbye to our buddies. I play in a band down there. They're all Quebecois, and they most of them are full-timers. They live there all, all year. Uh, so we got on the plane, came back, booked um, Ascari down on Queen East as our favorite local restaurant, went down there that evening and uh, said goodbye to at the end of the night to Peter who was the bartender and a bunch of the people and yeah we'll come back in a week and he says yeah there's some kind of a shutdown going on he says it's not going to happen it's nothing first time i saw peter since that night was uh, two two days ago when wow. we uh, went to Ascari but uh m m i was honestly less affected because i'm semi retarded now so i'm able to Take my time. Semi-retired? Semi, whatever the word is. <laughs> I know that my French guys call me semi-retarded. So um, I take it as it is. Uh, and we, uh, my wife and I, uh, at the lockdown, we went out to uh, the county and we spent our time there. And um, everybody was basically, you know, you go to Sobeys and you wear your mask. It was the first place where I saw anybody enforcing the mask mandate. So I got a mask, and I loved to go shopping there, and I was sort of beginning to recognize people by their eyes. And uh, the, um, the projects that I had done 
just by chance had been finished in 2019. We had done our stuff mm-hmm. in 2019. I had done Alfie's album in 2019, or the, yeah. the stuff I had done. I did a thing with a, a girl, a fabulous artist named Randy Chattergan. At the end of 2018, we finished that. And she was supposed to be coming back to do some stuff. But then everything uh, stopped. And so, I mean, I... I, I you know, I thank the Norse gods for timing in my in my particular sense. It was tougher on my wife because, you know, how is she po- supposed to do her job? You know, she's very busy, and I'm as as we say, she's uh, busy working, and I'm uh, or she's hard uh, working hard, and I'm hardly working is what we normally say. But um, I was less affected, except from seeing all of my friends yeah. being terribly affected and seeing the closures of every second place whether it be a a, a clothing store or a bar or a theater and quickly replaced by a cannabis shop yes what's keeping you guys busy these days you've kind of answered that i've been uh, tracking guitars in my studio for a lot of different artists i just did a whole bunch of stuff for uh with marco luciani and mike shotton um um, they're recording, so they send me tracks. We do a lot of back and forth, and I've had a lot of time, so I can really craft them. <clears throat> Another independent artist out of Hamilton, uh, Daniel, um, nine songs, um, and you playing did with this, Brass you, Transit. Playing, who's the drummer that you... Uh, Randy Cook? or No, you just Dave did... Langus. Dave Langus? Dave Langus? What was the project you did that I said the drums sound fantastic on, the guy that you said you've been doing a bunch of stuff with? Oh, Joey Greco. Yeah, Joey I'm working Greco. with this uh, producer, Rock Music, and it's been great. Yeah. So we've been doing some work together. I've been playing on his tracks, and um, we've been doing videos, and we've got another two videos and two songs coming out. And... Um, He's actually going to be helping me with uh, the Mississippi Crawl video. and um, So I've been busy with him, too, which is great. I I have been lucky because uh, starting around 2017, I started doing projects where I would say, just send me audio files, just send me your files, and I'll do the stuff in, at the time, I had a little studio in Cabbage Town in the basement of my house. And... um, I just noticed that everything, everybody's system locked. Don't worry about sending me a Logic file or a Pro Tools. Just send me your audio. Forget about that crap. We all work differently. And so I would get the stuff, and I got really used to it. And I really liked it because I could be in my shorts and slippers, and my cats are down there. And it felt like uh, this was the way that I would like to work going forward. And I did a bunch of mixing for a bunch of uh, independent bands where they would just say, hey, one guy said to another, yeah, he doesn't charge much, and he, he sounds pretty good. I can hear my voice, and you can hear your drums. I got used to getting stuff just in a drop file. So when the pandemic hit, I had just finished three projects in a row uh, where I didn't uh, see the artist. I just worked with the files. And in the case of uh, Rani Chattergan, I did her album Samsara. She cut all of her vocals and... Uh, harmonium and her acoustic guitar stuff in my basement studio but as far as you are <clears throat> away from me and uh she did that and then she lives up in deep river so she went back to deep river and everything that i did from there was through her she had a wonderful guy sandeep Banerjee, 
who is a uh, Indian uh, orchestral arranger, and he's in um, India. And uh, he did orchestral arrangements. I had a fellow who I'd met in San Miguel de Allende who did string arrangements. I had Claudia Vena do string arrangements. Wow, that's deep. I had, uh, I had Paul DeLong do the drums, right. all in their studios, and fish the stuff to me. Had uh, Rude Jolie, who was a good friend and is a good friend of Ranny's, and he's from a band named Without, I think they're called Without Temptation. They're a huge band in Europe. And he did all the guitars and just taught me a lesson about what amps are you using? And he just said, these are all just little preamps that I use here. And they're just like yourself. Right. And it just clued me into just how good things could sound, so much so that I I hired him for a couple of things where I would send my bad stuff over and he would send it back in his version, in his likeness, which was so much better. So, you know... It's one thing about being a jack-of-all-trades and a master of none. Cut that solo. Now give it to Sill. Now you're going to get a solo. And so I learned back then that everything I was doing online was great. Nobody showed up at the house. Uh, We got together every now and then, but that was it. Yeah, just to cut the vocals. Yeah. That's how we work now, you know. I mean, it's all via, you know, Zoom or whatever. I send the files back and we talk. Yeah, that's good. Okay, here we go. Boom, boom. Then I work, but... It's it's actually a good way to work as well. Yeah. I mean, there's something unless you're playing like in a blues jazz band where you need the four guys yeah. there, and we are cutting this the synergy yeah. of what we are doing live right now. But in a lot of forms of music, it it isn't really that important. Mm-hmm. So you're um, enjoying the virtual oh, yeah. collaboration because I can be at home and at you know I can cut solos. Like there was one tune I just worked on. I must have cut. 10 solos and the first one yeah the next day you come back you go oh yeah let me do this oh yeah and then you be it becomes part of your dna and then when you finally get it to where you you got it you're going oh yeah well one one of the things that i was asking some previous um artists was i had been thinking is the pandemic going to make people stop spending all that time in the studio getting the perfect take and the perfect song and six months later they release it to all of a sudden you know what i can do this off the floor i can this the first take is good get it and get it out sure so it's just it sounds like it's been sort of almost a 50 50 thing it's like i have to do a little bit of both you know for me but I think, yeah, I think Syl is right. I think that uh, if you are, if you're just starting out, for instance, say you're a young artist, you're in your teens or early 20s, the energy is going to be palpable. You should feel it because it's the excitement of being in front of a mic or in a studio, whether it's your own studio or whatever it might be. But the thing that I uh, feel is that there is a happy medium between the the perfect take, which might take all day to get, and the perfect take, which just happened while you were waiting for something else. Oh, yeah. And in the case of the solo for Talking Red, I remember just going, that is the perfect take. No, I got to do it a couple more times. And then it was like the next day, 
we're going to go with that take. I just, you know, And that's the beauty is that for Sill, it meant that he could trust me. But I also knew that Sill had gotten he's, – he's, he's, this is a fine artist. If he was a painter, he would be making a few little extra dashes here and there and just maybe a little more from the palette just to make it the way I can live with. And I've heard this many times uh, in the case of yeah. like, you know, various artists who will say, you might like it. I can't live with it like that. Then you have to put, pull yeah. yourself back and let them go it's through that It's a tough job of producing. I've been in that situation. Yeah. You go, well, in the end, this is you. I'm here to make you and right. you got to be happy because you're the one that has to live with it. You're the yeah. one that has to listen to it. And you don't want to cringe you know, six years or three months down the road. Now right. it's kind of like when I do it, I let it go. I'm free. I don't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel good about it, and uh, I'm not. I'm not a slave to that song. And I. And, uh, but before, when I was a lot younger, it, it, you know, it, it'll cut you a lot more. It's just part of being an artist. You're sensitive, right? Like all artists. Doesn't matter what music you play, from metal yeah. to blues or whatever, you know, you have that sensitivity because this is you, you're exposing yourself, your emotions when you're playing. That, you know, if it doesn't kind of go right, it, it hurts a little bit more. But mm -hmm. as you get older, you realize that that's silly. It's a waste of energy, you know, and uh, I can get to where it needs to be a lot better now, I think, where I'm really happy. Both songs for this podcast were composed by Sil Simone and produced by Jerry Mosby. On both recordings, you'll also hear Jerry's distinctive bass sounds. First up is Talking Red, a song about exposing abuse and fraud.
are you guys coping personally with the pandemic? Um, well, we'll let the it has it ha- a lot of ups and downs. I'm a pretty up guy, so, uh, but, you know, it affects everybody. We've all lost people, you know, uh, that you can't have funerals, that sort of thing. Celebrations of a lot of great musicians have passed away. My, you know, Phil Nero, oh, I mean. Oh, God. Uh, the tears, like, and uh, so many, uh, Glenn Stevens, uh, uh, all I these the kinds Doug Inglis. Just Doug Inglis. Um, yeah, Doug Inglis. Gunther Capel, oh. bass player. Yes, Gunther. You know what I mean? And you just go, what? You know, um, sax player for Pretzel Logic. Oh, God. Um, yeah, that was just recent. Yeah, and nobody knew he was sick. And then you just go, whoa. And when you're when you're stopped in your tracks and world, you have all this time and you're going, what's going on here? Yeah. The pandemic is basically a, a big disaster. And, lot, you know, a lot of the kids, youth families it's really affected them taking their toll on a lot of people and everybody chins up um it's been devastating you know people that have lost their businesses they're put their lives in little restaurants what about you personally personally i'm okay i'm you know i've been fortunate that i've got good friends and i've been able to be creative you know what i mean i'm good i'm ready to play i've been playing live a bit so but i mean hey February, March, when it's dark at 4.30, quarter to 5, and you're going, man, I, I can't do Netflix and, and you know, Amazon Prime anymore. I, I, you know, I, I think know. I fare better than most just because I haven't, I wasn't part of the live scene. The last band gig I did was New Year's Eve 1980. Really? That yeah. long ago? Yeah. Yeah, but you've been playing down in, in Costa Rica. But that's that's fairly recent. I yeah. did stuff in San Miguel, too. But yeah. if you think that's... That's 42 years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't played in a band uh, except... So I know, was lucky to see you in Rheingold when I did in 79. I was lucky to be in Rheingold, really, at that time. I mean, wow. the, the trajectory... I came to Toronto the day after my mom's uh, 52nd birthday I landed in Toronto on a whim because my brother was moving back one of my brothers had been living here broke up with his girlfriend and he just called mum in our little house in southern BC she picked up the phone it's You're the from last Castlegar, week right? yeah Woo! last week of August 74 Fly to that airport I yeah I saved up enough money to go with my buddy Carl DaCosta we were going to go in September of '74, we both worked together. We were building. Uh, I couldn't tell you what I was doing in September of '74. I can tell you that kind of memory. Yeah, and we each knew we had to save up three grand, so we both saved up three grand. That was a lot of money. In it those was. Days. It was enough. I figured this is going to last me through this trip, and I'll come back. We're going to go to the Azores, and we're going to go to Portugal, where he's from. And it was like you know, me and my best buddy. And then this phone call, I'm sitting by there, standing by the sink. The phone is over here. Mom picks it up. It's like that, uh, you hear the one side of the insurance thing. Oh, you got life insurance. Oh, you know that. This was, mm-hmm. hey, Kent. Oh, you're moving back. And I just heard this, like, hand me the phone. As soon as you're finished commiserating, I want to talk to Ken because I hadn't, I hadn't talked to him for over a year. You're coming, you're coming back? You've been in Toronto all this time? Yeah, Jerry, uh, you know, just coming back. Hold your apartment. I can't. I, I gave my notice and, uh, you know, Ken, go back and just tell him, I don't I don't know how they, this works. I don't know. You know, I had lived away from home once in the summer of uh, 73. And then, uh, you know, that's when I decided to save money. 
and go to the Azores. And I didn't know what any of this stuff was. The phone just changed my life. Ken, save your, hold your apartment. Jerry, I can't, I can't. How much is it? It's $18 a week. I said, put the 18 bucks down. Palmerston Boulevard, 18 bucks a week. Palmerston. Like at a mansion, right? He had a top floor. Of just course. Just a, a little cubby hole. But those still, places still, they got like 80 bucks. rooms in those yeah. places. Don Allen is there. He's got like a $6 million home on there. <laughs> but anyways, I'm a kid. I'm supposed to be the best man at a wedding in Lethbridge in September. And I'm supposed to be going away with my buddy. And we're still working together. And I just go, I'm going to go to Toronto. When? Uh, I'd ask Ken to hold it for two days. So I'll be there in two days or three days, whatever it takes. I don't oh. know. Bus to Calgary, train ride across Canada for wow. to two days, arrived at Union Station, got a lift from somebody that I met, and I said, uh, you know, a little black Volkswagen, got in the back with my, I had one suitcase, just with stuff, no guitars, no nothing, I'm just coming out to see what the world is like. I'd been here once on a school thing when I was in grade <clears throat> 11, but that was a whole different experience. So it was like, wow, show up, my brother... Uh, Meets me. I see him actually driving to his place. Okay, here's the address. That's my brother. Stop right now. I get out. There's Ken. We throw my bag in his little cubby hole. And then we go out and we walk down Bloor Street. I remember Bloor and, and Young. And we're walking along. Anecdotally, I hear in the distance the inimitable sound, unmistakable sound of Garth Hudson playing the organ. And I'm going, Ken, I, I hear Gar- the band. And Ken said, oh, yeah, there's a big show at Varsity Stadium, the band, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. You didn't get tickets? No, I never, I live, as as he said, I never go to this stuff. I live here. Right? It's the very Toronto thing, yeah, right? Yeah. And so we walked past, and I heard this. That was my introduction. So Toronto, to me, was like the land of milk and honey, and I'm going to see what I can do, and I never moved back. My experience has been different in that, I'd already elected, my wife and I had already kind of made moves out of the city, waiting for the condo to be built, getting out of town and living in the country and going south. I find that this COVID thing, obviously it's hit everybody so unbelievably hard and it's not over by a long shot. That's my personal feeling in in many parts of the world like for instance with you know with japan going into the fourth lockdown they're concerned with india um you know the variant that was there is apparently running rampant the government is trying to keep quiet about it the the numbers are unbelievable so i look at that and i look at my own little myopic life where i got two cats the best wife in the world and i got a great little situation i don't even have a car because i just ride my bike everywhere i'm back to like i was when i was a teenager oh god you didn't ride from peck to here did you on your uh, bike? no i hitchhiked uh, very 70s of you <laughs> <laughs> no anyways i i've survived very well we've covered off the virtual collaboration live performance Now, that's the key to the development of new artists, but it's also key to the development, continuing development of artists that have been doing it for 30, 40, 50 years. Of course. Have you thought about what the music scene is going to look like when we finally get out from underneath this pandemic? Well, there there, there is a pivot, of course, but I think, you know, people are consuming music more than ever before through, be it through streaming, 
even studying music, although, um, I mean, it's everywhere. I, I believe that people miss going to concerts. People love being in the audience. And people love going to pubs and dancing and singing. And I think there's no way you can keep it down. Of course, a lot of the venues have changed or disappeared, and especially in Toronto. You look at, like, Hughes Room, the Orbit Room. Uh, there's a whole bunch the of hideout, them. Hideout. Hideout. You, know, yeah. you know, King Street, you know, Joe Mama is all, you know. The, but that's always happened, too. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, hey, Mozart was buried in an unmarked grave, right? <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. he relied on the king to pay him to write music, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's enough money and there's enough business people that somebody's going to grab the bull by the horns and say, there's a demand for this. And there is a demand for it, you know, for venues and for people to congregate and and artists that love making music, you know. Now, the environment with the streaming and everything has changed um, financially for the recording end, but the other upside is you're reaching people all over the world from your laptop, and if you get a lot of streams or whatever, or YouTube, you know, they will come and pay to see you play live, and that's how a lot of the artists are doing it. So the live thing will be, I think, even bigger, but it all depends on what the COVID situation is going to be like as far as are we, you know, do we feel confident enough to go out there and not worry about dying? <laughs> what do you think, Jerry? Well, I uh, I was excited that uh, Weckerly's uh, fantasy of reopening the uh, Elma Combo has yielded a, at least a few pretty interesting shows. Um, and that's more of like a video kind of live exactly. stream venue yes and it's ma- it's been made for that i mean you know yeah. 35 million dollars later it is uh, talking to doug mcclamant he just said it's a spaceship here it's just a spaceship yeah. and uh, uh everything that is done within the, the walls can be sent wherever uh, uh another uh, notable development down in um, prince edward county is uh, cadillac sam building a place sam's place in carrying place and he is doing this with his wife and a couple of helpers, and yeah. it's just a labor of love. Plus, he runs a, you know, he runs a limousine service, right. and it's, Sam is very much like that. But and those is, music lovers that open bars or yeah. whatever, or they and they have the money, you know, and yeah. they're going, I want a place. I don't care because I love music. I want my place. And those have always been patron to the arts. If you think of the number of clubs and venues that have closed down in Toronto and multiply it by the number of major cities around the world. Uh, this is, this is apocalyptic. Yeah, uh, of course. So to see Sam's place and to see the Elma combo come back yeah. to life, those are premier events yes. in the sense that, or premium, I should say, where uh-huh. you're paying a, a, a pretty penny yes. to actually be there or right. to stream it or do like whatever. Peter's players, you know, uh, yeah. that was ran. You've performed there, right? You know, you pay a premium, but where else can you be yeah. 
from here to that chair away to hear Larry Carlton. Yeah, or, yeah exactly. There are all these other, you know, everybody, you know, yeah. and or you play a premium, but still it's a lot seat. cheaper than going to see Bon Jovi at, uh, you know, yeah. the ACC. And I think people love those events and they yeah. love those places. Um, and they will pop up again because you can make money and if mm -hmm. you, but you have to, you, it's a labor of love. You know, if you're just out there to make bucks, there's so many other things you can get into that would be probably less grief and more profitable. But these promoters and, and, and all these patrons, even down in America, when, where I play with Brass Transit, you know, um, patrons, and they go, we want music. We want to do a concert. Mississippi Crawl, our next song, is a song inspired by hedonistic behavior and bliss.
do you think 2020 is a career killer for musicians, especially those that are not that well-established? I don't know if it's a career killer, but it definitely throws a few hurdles that, you know, are almost insurmountable. You know, not your fault. And what are you going to do? There's no place for you to do this. And a lot of them have done other things to make a living, too. And in the old days, that was kind of frowned upon. But you know what I find? If you are a true musician, those experiences, like, you know, still I had to go and uh, help my dad in his carpentry business. And, you know, I come back to the music, but I have... You might, you know, maybe your skills aren't quite to where they were, but you, what you have in your heart and those experiences is what you can bring to the music because you still got to bring something to the music in your lyrics. Where is that coming from? You know what I mean? I was a carpenter. Well, exactly. And so... And so was a lady. Yeah. And I think... um, I think... um, For the most part, I think that will happen. But, you know, to a lot of people, they just said... I, you know, I'll, I'll do this kind of part-time or I'll do this yeah. just for fun. And that, that's fine, too, you know. So it's been hard. A lot of touring acts, you know, that have invested money. PA, uh, you know, who's even worse off is the tech companies. All the PA companies in tech. Like, as a musician, I can still work. I got my studio, but to a tech. And if you're not in the IOTSI or doing theater, they've been just totally shut down. Yeah. But the, so this is kind of a several pronged um, question discussion point. We've talked about the club, the venues, and how many we've lost. So there are far fewer stages. Right. Absolutely. There have also been in the past number of years, especially since I've been shooting, and this is only in the last six or seven years. There's been far too many artists in the past that are performing for free. We've had acts and clubs where you've got four or five acts. Everybody gets their 45 minutes of fame. And I keep saying by the time the fifth act plays at 3 o'clock in the morning, I can't even remember who played first. Yeah. Okay. We've got a lot of weekend warriors coming in, a lot of people undercutting artists who rely on those clubs for their livelihood. Mm -hmm. So first question is, I'm wondering if this is an opportunity, and I have to read this because I never get it right. I'm wondering if this is an opportunity for musicians to work together as a unifying force to reshape and come to an agreement, not only amongst themselves, but with the club owners. Because I'm remembering in the days of Rheingold and other bands in the 70s and early 80s, musicians were compensated. The union was keeping an eye on things. The bars had to pay in. The, you know, the union reps course, would come yeah. around. Mm. We've gone, now I was out of the music business for many years, got back into it mm. a number of years ago. We've gone from contracts and unions to passing the tip jar. So there is a are lot we going to call the herd? Is there going to be, I mean, how can we fix this? To be I, fair, so you go ahead, so. I think... I don't know. Tip jars and all that. I, I certainly don't do that. I mean, but um, I know some that have have. And mm-hmm. If that's the way they want to do it, that's fine. I mean, are bands undercutting? In certain cases, I would say, yeah. But a lot of the places I've performed, I pre- we all pretty well make the same amount of money. Unless if, now, if it's a paid ticket and they're a theater gig or something, that's a whole different thing. You can yeah. command the price of what... You know, like I know what brass transit charges and they get that price and whatever. Yeah. Um, so now there might be another band that down. does Chicago that will that will undercut them and try to get the gigs. But then again, they're not at the same level. So 
but you take it down to the local level because where yeah. everybody starts right. is in the club circuit in Toronto. You had the Gasworks, mm -hmm. we had the Nickelodeon, we had the Tube. Mm -hmm. Now we've still got the Horseshoe. Yeah. We've got Cherry Colas. We've yeah. got the Hideout is now gone. Orbit Room is gone. Oh, so yeah. you've got, and we've had over the past, my personal experience, for the um, uh, musicians that I've spoken to, you've either got bands per, oh, he's gonna charge you, you can pay him a hundred bucks, I'll pay for free. So all of a sudden band yeah. one is out of a job, there's a limited clubs now, We've got yeah. the Weekend Warriors. Guys that play you know, for free a, like that, Can we not though, start I mean, work yeah. together with the club owners? I don't spend owners? time with them. You know what I and mean? And what it's happened like, to the union? Well, the musician where union is still... You know where the musician union... They have very limited power. They're good for getting your work visas. To, you need them. Yeah. If you're in the theater world... It's all unionized. I mean, union in the sense, more of an association. So there is, you know, they protect you and, and you know, there's pension. Same with the jingles and recording. But that's mm. been slowly eviscerated, 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 eviscerated. And it's hard to fight because they only have so many limited resources and you're up against some big players and, you know, they can lawyer, lawyer you to death, you know. Mm -hmm. And... Really, in the last 30, 40 years, the music, Musicians Association has really no effect or say in the local club scene. Yeah, you know, know, the whole thing about, the, we think back to the, the 70s or whatever, is the Halcyon days, and, you know, it was wonderful, and everybody got paid a whatever, you know, not much money, but you got paid, and there would be a contract. Uh, I mean, it wasn't that way. Um, yeah. as many bars as not were run actually by bikers. And yeah. so, and that's when it was really organized because when you've got the musicians union, uh, who would pay a visit to every club, uh, and to make sure you had your, uh, your membership up to date, you would have to oh, show yeah. your card oh, yeah. and you would have to buy them a beer. Even though you don't have any money, it was a little Kremlin-like too. Yeah, you know? it was. It was pretty tough, and I I can remember. And I won't say where, but I remember at least this many times uh, when it came time to get your check that you're going to uh, take to the bank because you're getting thirty-five hundred dollars for the week, and that pays for the truck and the guys and the lights and the sound, and we each get one hundred and fifty or two hundred bucks. I could never understand the math on that. We got thirty-five hundred, and there's five of us, and we're each getting two hundred bucks. And the manager's getting something, and we got a new truck, manager's and we got a big back. Twenty seventy percent. Way the more. The agents making ten or fifteen. But what I found, it was very interesting. I started to hang out after the loadout because this is when you get paid. You're finally loaded out. You're sitting with uh, with the guy. Okay, come on in, come on in, come on, boss, come on in, and blah blah blah, come on in. And so, looking at the contract. So, how much do you want? That would be the first question. He's reading the thirty-five hundred or the seventeen fifty for three days or the whatever. For, oh yeah. Well, it says says here uh, for the weekend seventeen fifty. Yeah, but I mean, how much do you want? Uh, it would really be handy to get exactly what we were contracted for because we're paying music, and he just stops you and goes, "Here's twelve hundred bucks, and I'd love to have you back." And if you decided not to take the 1200 bucks and take this up with somebody else, you will never play that club ever, even in your next life. Yeah. So I remember many cases oh, yeah. in the Halcyon days where musicians learned the hard way that you were not in control. 
you were being controlled. And the only way you could play the tube, the Gasworks, Larry's Hideaway, uh, oh, yeah. you know, the Nobby, the Rondon, the Penthouse Motor Inn, uh, all these Rondon. places. Let me tell you something. Go in to find out at the time, say, 4 or 5 in the morning when you're just about to go home or travel home. Um, this happened all across Canada. But certainly I remember Toronto East. If you go to Quebec, you got a guy going, guys, come on. I mean, I thought you would sell more beer. And I thought, you know, they it would tell you why. It wasn't that busy on Thursday nights. I remember Larry Gowan, we were playing our Rheingold thing at, uh, at uh, the, the Moustache, right, yeah. in uh, Montreal. Wow. I love playing the mustache because you stayed in these fabulous it. rooms with oil floors that one cigarette on the floor, the place would go up. But you were close to your the stage, and they let us rehearse. We were the only band that could rehearse the nights. Norm, Norm, God rest his soul, was also a guy that would come to the stage very famously in the middle of some, you know, Dr. Starlight and the Watchmaker and... Would you stop that shit? Play something we could dance to, right? In the middle of, <laughs> you know, this is, this, is, this is Lawrence's big, big thing. And But the fact of the matter is, is that if you wanted to get paid, you had to play the game. And the game was, this contract says I get thirty-seven fifty. Here is $2,500, and we'll see you back in three months. And the agents had power, too. Oh, yeah. Because you but had I mean, to go through those If you agents. tried to go through the union at that point, I, I flew, I was a they steward. They would say, screw the union. For at least mm-hmm. two bands, I was the mm-hmm. steward. And uh, I would report certain things back, and it was just I would just get a shrug from them and say, well, that's just the way it goes. Meanwhile, did you pay your dues? Yeah, I, I paid my dues, I, but and getting fined for being late because you've been out for three months and you come back and you got all this stuff in your mailbox and yes. it's like, holy shit, I just got fined. I'm the steward and uh, I can't afford eighty dollars. And having to go in front of at the uh, musicians' union back then, Thorncliffe, it was a very difficult thing because they were the power brokers. And I think what's happened now, there's a great leveling. Before the pandemic, the great leveling has been occurring, and that is that for every 5,000 artists who learn from the past and go and they'll put this stuff on this streaming thing and they'll do this. You get the odd one that goes, no, I'm going to record this in my bedroom and I'm going to get whatever play and I'm going to do a little home video and it becomes a breakout hit and it becomes the, the big thing. It's gone viral. You can't predict viral. You can't predict any of this kind of stuff. The one thing that is for sure, just like it was back then, if you're uh, Wally's Wall and you're fronting Brutus, you're going to have a crowd because they were absolutely phenomenal as a band. And he was the best front man I had ever seen. And they would be playing and he would he would go from doing this crazy rock thing. They had a great big guy that so big he played kind of as Gibson Les Paul here. He was like a farmer. And the band was unbelievable, and Wally would go down into the dank basement of the Gasworks and come back dressed as a woman. And the crowd is going crazy, and it's mostly bikers. They're like, oh, look at that. I love that part. Then later, they would go upstairs and watch Carol Pope, and she'd be doing her thing. So the, the thing that I find, the great leveling here is this. It's easier than ever to get your stuff out there. You don't have to get a record deal. And let's face it, most guys uh, don't have that kind of time left to get a record deal and oh, wait yeah. the two years it takes and That's then find the out the night before. 16 years old where they farm them. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I tell you right now, 
I've always recommended independence simply because it's not a bad word. It's a good word. You want to be signed to a big deal? Well, the problem with the big deal is it comes with big responsibilities, big debt. You could be saddled with that debt and never get signed to anybody else because they don't want to pick up your debt because they're not going to drop you. So you can be shelved on a major label as quickly as you can And you're done forget for like four that. or five years until your contract because we you're own done. your rights. We and, know many you know. of those people. Oh, so I think God. that the new... Killed a lot of artists. You know, COVID is COVID is is the worst thing that's ever happened to our generation. Uh, I I think the thing is though, going forward, just as uh, Doug McClement was saying about you know uh, about the Elma Combo, this is the time for a place that uh, uh, it's almost like for a certain tier of people that can afford this venue, the luxury venues. I think we're going to see lots of that because there's a lot of money out there. Oh, I yeah. think there's going to be a there's going to be a real dearth of places for people like we used to go and see right. and just sit there and go to the, you know, Small be able to play the Piccadilly yeah. tube. I knew I could get during Paul uh, Paul Kersey's drum solo, I could down three bags of popcorn for free because the band got popcorn free. And that to me was dinner. So for me, this was like a way of existing that I could never have experienced in my little town in BC. Now, going forward, all of those places are gone. All of those places are, uh, they'll never be forgotten, but they're gone. They're all place, replaced by condos and replaced by other kinds mm -hmm. of things. This is not a Toronto-centric thing. This is the world. Mm -hmm. We're in the world here. And I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a, a dearth of little places to play until such time as, uh, you know, it's... It, it, I was saying, saying to my wife the other day, I think what's going to happen is it's going to be cannabis and music store. You play here and you get your bag of that and whatever because the cannabis stores are like making a fortune because people are depressed and they want to get high. Now, if you combine those, it's going to be hard to do because of the medical thing the reason those stores are particular is they have to they have to actually uh prove to the government that it's sanitary safe and it's overcharged right. but the part of it that will morph i think and hopefully will and that'll be the part in canada where you got a cannabis and a shoe store you got a, you got cannabis and uh and uh small theater uh, where you can pick up your thing and you get a you get a ticket every time you because I think people are going to buy more dope than than they're going to buy music because they can stream it. Who needs to yeah. pay for music? There's got to be merch that goes with it. Okay, how about a little pack of Rollies? You get that if you buy our record, we're going to give you a pack. That of kind Rollies. of concert venue. That's that's what's going to happen, yeah. and, and I, I and think those it has guys to that happen. make the that are making that money. They want to branch out into entertainment. I mean, Absolutely. they just—they do. They're music lovers, and it's a cornered uh, market. And I think I think that what you got to be good is what you got to be if you you're going to survive. Be... You got to strive for being the best you can be, yep. and people, and and uh, you know, gather your herd, yep. like anything else, yep. and develop your brand and. Get out there, and you're going to have to work ten times harder than everybody yeah. else. It's and just... you're going to have to find a hook. 
You're going to have to find a reason that people are going to go see you when they don't have to go see you because Mm -hmm. they've already seen you in your video. And some people just don't want to do it. If you think of the kids that before COVID, they didn't go see live music because it was too loud. They couldn't talk. I mean, that's a cultural difference. That's a sea change from us where it was like louder or else we're going to hear each other fucking lie. It's the, the big difference in the world right now is that the culture that was prevalent prior to COVID was the club culture. You got a DJ. Yeah. There's no there's no live musicians. You got a DJ who isn't even a musician, yeah. and he's just mixing tracks and doing these various things as a backdrop to picking somebody up, or having a few drinks, or just being a part of the vibe. So music has already become secondary yeah. to oh, to, yeah. to to existence. It's something that. We listen to on the car radio or something that we listen to here or we've got our buds when we're on the TTC or riding our bikes or walking. It's not like, I can't wait. Like my first concert in 68 in July was The Doors. That wasn't a place where you go and you chat to people while Jim Morrison is changing the, the face of entertainment. Yeah. We're all just like gobsmacked. I'm 13. I'm going... <sighs> I couldn't believe it. I'm surrounded by all these hippies. I look at the pictures now, and they're all just nice young people that have maybe a little, you know, a little uh, floral thing on their neck or a couple of beads or whatever. But they just, they live with mom and dad. At that time, this was like the fucking doors. I'm watching Ray Manzarek play a bass line while he's playing a solo. And I remember just going, that I could never do. I'm going to try as best i can and the flamenco guitar player robbie krieger and you've got a military uh drummer and you've got this film dropout yeah. up front charismatic unbelievable yeah. and so for me that changed my life because that was a concert you had you could not experience that by listening to their albums and they sounded just like their album Mm-hmm. That's something that to me was, I'm so glad to have been alive at that time. And to be able to see that before it got to the show. Like they were using Pacific Coliseum PA, right? Just the, just oh, the yeah. stuff. It's just like, no, we're just seeing him Two and hearing something. Two minutes for roughing penalty. Yeah. Same exactly. like the Beatles. They went through that. Sure. It was up there for the longest time. Oh, So, I mean, you know, like, I think going forward, people are going to get wise, especially kids who know nothing. They're not burdened by history. They're not burdened. They don't even care about the Beatles. They don't even care about Elvis. They don't care about anything. They don't care about the 90s. I had a client when I was in Jingles that said, the kind of music I want is kind of like, this was like 2004. Mm-hmm. And he was the first guy I ever saw texting. No, 2008. First guy I ever saw texting during a meeting. What are you doing? Hey, what are you doing? And everybody's looking around going, treat him nice. He's, he's you know, he's fresh out of school. He's making 300 grand a year yeah. in his first job for BBDO. And I'm like, I don't care. This is my office. What are you doing? Huh? Oh, what kind of music do you want? Oh, uh... I don't know, kind of, and this is God's honest truth. I don't know. He's probably 22, and he had, I don't know, kind of really old school, middle to late 90s kind of a vibe. And this is 2008, right? So it's like 10 years before. And I said, 
I got underwear. I'm wearing them. They're older than that. What are you talking about? <laughs> and immediately, I was ushered out of the meeting by uh, our client services person who said, Jer, Jer, kiss of death. Don't talk to him like that. And I said, I'm going to kick him out of my office is what I'm going to do. And they said, no, don't say a word because that's the future. He doesn't talk to people. He texts to people across the table. I said, I remember then going, I will never be a part of this. I'm just checking my texts now to make sure that I'm... Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I know. Art is collaborating more? Oh, yeah. Art not, but not artists that you normally collaborate with because typically you're everybody's to the four corners of the world. I think artists are collaborating. Are they collaborating yes. with people they have never collaborated yes. with before? I know for me in my situation, I, I would say I know yes because I'm going... You should be doing more collaborations. You have no idea. You you kind of know what that person does, but if there's an opening, I go, let's write something. Yeah. Who cares what it is? I don't care. Me, you, guitar, but I think that we can do something. Yeah. And out of those collaborations come so many different things. And I think artists are definitely collaborating and they want to do it. I know in my case, yeah, I should have been done it. I should have been doing more of it previously and I didn't. And now it's like, what are you nuts? Of course I got to do this. It just adds to the whole, you know, dimension. Yeah. One of the uh, silver linings of the pandemic has yeah. been, I think more collaboration. Let's get together and do something. Hey, yeah. do you want to play on this? Yeah, I'll yeah. play on that. You play on that. And it's always a wonderful surprise. Yeah. yeah. Like people that you wouldn't think, you know, because it's I'm not that you have pre yeah. preconceived notions or that you exactly. have a closed mind, but you really don't know. And then all of a sudden they go, don't you? And you go, oh, if you feel that you can kind of work together, say, let's just do this. Let's see. And everybody wants, you know, you everybody. One thing I notice about musicians, I don't care if they're rank amateurs to soup. You're always trying to do your best for the most part. Everyone's listening. They want to contribute. Um, they're doing their best, and um, that's always a great thing. But like I said, collaborations, oh, yeah. I mean, you just look at all the writers now and all these new hip-hop artists. Usually it's the guy, drum guy with maybe his producer, and then they hook up with this girl, but mm -hmm. she added two lines. But the end product now is this. But it took all those pieces to make that. And that's very common in the pop world for sure today with all the different writers and producers because yeah. they realize that we want to farm and get the best of the best. Your three bars make this song. It's not this whole song. What you started off with your three yeah. bars wasn't that great. But those three bars mixed in with this guy and this we got magic now. Here's an old yeah. guy, 66. I've got so many unfinished songs. I'm working at stuff, and then I kind of go, wait a second. I'm running out of time. I should, I should probably speed this up and maybe write with some other guys. And in the jingle business, I learned how to write everything by myself and play it by myself. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was the profit motive. It was easy to do, and I'd collaborate now and then, but very rarely. Mm -hmm. Well, a guy I met in North Bay in 1977 while I was in the hunt, a guy named Doug Vardy. Had a band. Yeah, I know dog. Doug very yeah. well, yeah. and Jim, and the whole band. Doug's yeah. one of my favorite guys. Yeah. I brought him in for That's jingles great. every now and then over the years. But there was a long time where he was saying we should we should do something like write together. Yeah, okay. Well, as soon as I have more than like fifteen minutes off, I'll get back to you. So I when I sold the company, started getting used to the idea of not 
doing a job type of thing. This year, I contacted him. I written a song. It's called Baby, I've Been There Too. And I just thought, Doug, I should contact Doug and see if he wants to, because I always loved his voice. He had a nice gravel voice. And he was like, I just thought about you the other day. Let's write. So we're six songs in now. And we're just working on stuff, starting off with overflow of stuff that I have, right? I'm sending it to him. He comes back with ideas. And we're just keeping it out of the studio, like not trying to add things. Just you play your acoustic guitar, play it back the way you learned it from me and vice versa. Uh, that's been interesting. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. The most surprising one was a fellow who has been a friend, um, uh, Gabe Lee. And Gabe is an engineer. Uh, he works in the business and uh, he, he's been, I guess, a great engineer for years and years and years. He's early 60s. And his wife is a good close friend of my wife. And so the four of us, every once in a while, we used to get get together more often back then. Well, we got together for the first time, and it had been in forever out in the county. They came out. They were having an anniversary, so we all get together. And while we're sitting there, I'm across from Gabe, and I just went, we're G&G. We were going to, you know, like, we're G&G. We should do something. GG, G&G, write something. I'd love to. Okay. So I said, I'll send you some stuff. I sent him three songs. I heard nothing. It was over a period of a couple of weeks. Uh, and I knew he was busy. And I remember saying to my wife, I said, yeah, Gabe, I sent him stuff. I guess it's not really resonating, I guess. You know, I also know he's busy. He actually works for a living. Mm-hmm. Me, it's like, you know, hanging around. And uh, that afternoon, I get an email from him, which was th- two days ago, three days ago. And he said, Jerry, you've sent me three songs. And I, I kind of think they're done. I, I don't know what I can add to them. And he says, so what I, just as a, a funny thing, I took the lyric from this one song you sent me, and I thought, I'm not even going to hear your demo. And I'm going to write a song to your lyrics. And, you know, it's crazy. If you don't try, you don't know. So anyways, long story short, he fucking smoked a song with my lyric that was this sentimental little thing that I wrote and it's got my typical chord changes and it's got me wailing away about this, that, and the other thing. He took that song and wrote a blues song to it. I could never write a blues song. And he sang it and he's got a real, like he's got a smoker's kind of a a voice and all that stuff and all this inflection. Silk on gravel. It just killed me. And I just, I said to him, my my comment was, holy fucking Jesus Christ. Right. I said, let's do this again. And by the way, holy fucking Jesus Christ. Right. So I sent him another lyric. And that's the beauty of yeah. it. You don't so know. And all of a sudden you're going, yeah. you pop this thing in the oven, all of a sudden it comes out. It and you're freaked going, me out. Wow. To hear a song Why based on your lyric up? that had no input from you except for your lyric. And he said, by the way, I really like this lyric and it resonates. And he says, I know it was very sensitive because the song is about blah, blah, blah. And I just thought, fuck it. I'm going to write a thing. And the song is so much better. So I've sent him the second thing. And it was a song that was all finished. And I'd actually played it in Costa Rica quite a bit in a couple of bars mm-hmm. that I'd go down and I'd just get in a guitar. And it's a it's this thing called Raise Your Glass. It's a bar song. Mm-hmm. And he said, I already heard that one. He says, I know I've heard it. So I'm going to try and forget about it. What if I do something like the Pogues? And I just went, oh, God, you're talking about 
one of my all-time favorite alt bands, and he said, okay, so he's going to get back to me with this complete song based on a lyric for an already finished song. And what I get to choose is, like he says, hey, it might strike out. I don't care. Do you care? No, I don't care. Oh, good. That's I'll pass you, you on go. all the lyrics. Oh, my You got to swing at the ball. ball. You got to swing at the ball. Him. You strike out. Yeah. Hey, you're batting you 300. Him. You struck out seven times. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, <clears throat> I think um, it's something, like I said, I wish I would have done and just actively pursued because most of the people would have said yes. We're, I think the answer is yes. Yeah. I think collaboration is, is definitely part of the lifeblood. Yeah. Yeah. I mean We've it's, been so alone. Yeah, like, exactly. Uh, I I don't want to be like the guy. Well, but everybody's been on everybody's candle. been on the road. So it's it's really difficult to collaborate yes. when mm-hmm. everybody is, is touring, touring yeah. ten months losing, out of the yes. year. The yeah. last fifteen, sixteen, seventeen months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're all home. And you're lonely. You can't say, Hey, I'm going to, oh, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. That's right. So Absolutely. it's 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 not just musicians collaborating, it's collaborating with people that you never thought you'd ever be yes. writing with. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, it's it's a wonderful thing. Okay, level playing field for everybody. The past year, almost year and a half now, and not just for international artists, but local artists as well. Nobody's been able to play. So, with the lack of competition from more well-established acts, has this is this been a good opportunity for local artists to sort of take advantage of the lull and work more on their presence? I think within, so. Within within, and by local community, I don't mean neighborhood. I mean like city. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's a good question because everybody's in oh, good, the same I have one boat. Good one. <laughs> Every, no, I mean everybody's in the same boat. Like we're all Exactly. We're all at home. It doesn't matter if you're Lady Gaga or Sil Simone or whoever, like we gotta figure out how to deal with this, you know, and uh and I think the emerging artists that have now a lot of people have done their own little videos and everybody mm-hmm. goes, wow, I, that's great that you've produced your own music. And yeah. I think I think it's been good. I mean, I think that's the only thing we could have done. And most of the musicians and artists have done that. And um, <clears throat> it's allowed them to even kind of poke their head out of the, uh, um, you know, kind of the... Well, we've had the, the whole, drums. we've had the whole shop local. It's always been pushed. And mm-hmm. the eat local, grow local... So that now we have listen local. So maybe it's time to push our own talent mm-hmm. and have them sort of. It, to me, it's been as devastating as the pandemic has been. I also think that you know part of the silver lining is artists coming up from underneath and sure. and moving out and taking advantage of, of course I the think lack so. of international competition because it's coming back. I also think it should be kind of a cultural thing, you know, like we do do it, but. I mean, Canada's a huge country, and it's spread out. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're very linear. You know, um, it's difficult, you know, and it's expensive to tour this country. I mean... Uh, it's expensive to just, to just <clears throat> distribute, get that yeah. word out. You know, I remember playing in nothing bands, getting five grand, ten grand, mm-hmm. fifteen grand from record companies to record demos. Nothing bands on opening act tours, and we had... A light man and a sound man. Yeah. We're all making 600 bucks a week. We're 25, 26 years old. We're happier than shit. We, to us, it's a gold mine. You know, Labatt's is sponsoring us. We got the record label they're giving. Nobody's getting rich, but we could do that for like six weeks across the country. I mean, 
man, the younger generation, I mean, I'm glad I got to experience that. Yeah. Those were yeah. great deers. Like, you could you could earn a living, you know? I mean, there was money out there, and um, and to have a crew. I miss, God bless when I can have my own guitar tech again, because that guy is going to be worshipped by me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. When you have you your own techs, and now, like, you know, you're teching your own shows and everything like this, it's just, yep. there's so much to do. Um and uh, the glory days, I mean, unless you're on a really big tour, you know, um, those days are kind of... I, th I think existing. that, I, to your point, I think that the toughest thing, uh, th this the pandemic and, and coming out of the pandemic has been toughest not on the youngsters, not on the newcomers. It has been toughest on the ones who remember what it used to be like. And so there's a lot of this frame of reference. Oh, back in the old day, we did this. Back in the old day. Yeah. And as I was saying before about millennials, God bless them. They don't give a fuck about yeah. what you went through because they didn't. Yeah. And they don't really care because they look and they go, what were you wearing? You know, they get past uh -huh. that. Maybe they might listen to what you were playing. Yeah. But you know what? What's happening right now? We're in the real world. And the real world is turning around and things are changing. And as far as I can see... A kid or a group of kids that want to get together and put something together, uh, they might do it with a guitar, a bass, a drums. They might do it like when I saw, uh, I think it was Holy Fuck, when Vapor years ago put on a, uh, um, a showcase with Holy Fuck. Uh, it was the most amazing thing I ever saw. They said, their writers said, we don't set up on stage. What do you mean you don't? We've got the stage for you. We set up in the audience. You mean in the audience? Well, we set up in the audience so that that way uh, we can play in between the other bands. And that is the way we want it to be. We play during the first set break between this band and this band. We play during the next set break between wow. this band and this band. And you know what everybody remembered at the end of that? It wasn't some of these other bands that did the usual thing. It was... Holy fuck. And they're playing and they got three DJs doing their thing, plus a guy going, Well, I don't give a fuck about you and you and everybody sing along. And they're all in the crowd. And I remember then it just further enforced when I was watching this as the owner of the company going, I would never in a million years have thought that's what to do. And that's why I'm saying when we think we go left, they're going, why? Why don't I go Do this opposite. way? Why don't I go back? Why don't I go over? No. And, and so that was a great learning lesson. I think it's important to also step out of your kind of borders. Like, step out of the comfort zone. What have you found to be the most difficult or the most challenging during the pandemic? Uh, I, I, I haven't found anything difficult, actually. So. so Ah, you know, most difficult. I just miss everybody. I miss playing. I miss the human connection. Yeah. I miss hugging people after a show. I miss the meet and greets. I miss the pre-gig pre, uh, dinners. I miss the after-gig, like beer and pizza, or that the food that we eat. I, I love eating after the gig, have a couple of beers. You go home, you go to bed tired, you know. It was great to be in a hotel room and going, oh, fuck, the end of the day. What a long day it was. And you had something to eat. You had a little chat with the guys. And you, I miss that. That's yeah. the part. That's what I miss. I was already isolated when this happened. Cause I, right. I, I miss didn't... going and sitting inside a restaurant, too. Let me tell you. Yeah. 
Like I miss that when yeah. when you can't do it. Like it's, I went out for dinner outside of the patio, but you're going. Me and my wife have been. Do you ever try eating Chinese food in a car? Because I'm going. Let's get out of the house. <laughs> no, that's for hamburgers. You know what and I mean? I said, let's go. We're going to go to the Chinese. See, to food me, the place. new hybrid will be, come to the Sound House, restaurant and got the chow mein on the hood. <laughs> Got some rice that I know I'm going to be vacuuming out in about a week. You know, uh, okay. Any takeaway lessons? Oh, yeah. I, th- I think the lessons that are uh, are being learned more by the old folks than they are by the kids who are just taking it in as it comes. It's like lessons are usually, well, no, I can't do what I used to do. I don't think there's any kid that isn't, except for, you know, ones that are in, in desperate situations that aren't indomitable. They just kind of go, okay, oh, I can't do that. Well, I'm going to go do this because they have to. They have to do something. And as Sil said, the, the, the idea of kids being isolated from one another, you know, just the thought is just, it's a terrible thought. But the fact of the matter is, is it's a worldwide situation. So kids are going to be able to say, I did that. I've I've lived through that. Here's what I crave. Hey, maybe kids will crave going to a place that plays live music. They never did before. I'm talking about millennials, yeah, where course. they could go to a club and listen to music that wasn't too loud, that so they could have their conversation over the DJ. So for me, maybe there will be that kind of an experiential of change. I don't. I wouldn't put money on it only because human nature is human nature is human nature, and I I I think that if musicians have got it together enough to put on a show in a venue, whatever that venue is, and it's a place where they can either comp a few of their good friends that will bring five more that will pay a buck or whatever it might be to get in, then maybe there will be some motion in, in that uh, in movement in that direction. Like Miles Davis said, sometimes you just got to say, so what? Yeah. Like, you think it's the most important, so, so you got to just flip it and go, so what? Yeah. What's one piece of advice, I get both of you, one piece of advice you would give to a young artist today? I would say learn everything you can about music if you're really passionate about it. And every time you grab that instrument or microphone or create, just give it everything you got with every fiber of your body. Be open to change because it's going to always forever change. Do not take the disappointments and <clears throat> what are perceived as failures are going to be really important life lessons along the way. That's what I would say. Okay. Very simple, and that is uh, uh, follow your own muse. Don't, forget, don't, don't be concerned about what's come before. Don't get concerned too much about things like what's on the, the, the charts, what's being streamed the most, what's this. Find your own niche. Do your own thing. Uh, try not to be, uh, um, I guess the best way to put it, try not to, to worry about anything. And let the music flow, whatever it is, whether it's just a, whether it's a drum machine, whether it's a sample loop or whatever, find your own place. Absolutely. Two positives to come out of this. Two positives. One personally and one professionally. Professionally, I've been, been, been able to produce more, do more videos, okay. uh, spend time releasing material. No problem. Okay. Uh, personally, I don't know. I know how to make a big skating rink on an ice rink. <laughs> That's a, a positive. <laughs> on a lake. Um, You're a good dad. You know I've that. become a better cook, that's for sure, because I've had the time to really 
you know, have the time. Jerry? Well, professionally, it sort of merges personal and professional, but professionally, it's what we were talking about earlier. Why don't I write with Doug Vardy? Yeah. Why don't I write? And and this is a personal friendship, but we're doing something that we are professionals at. We're writing songs together. Gabe Lee, uh, it's uh, this guy is amazing to me because I just went here, take this lyric. I didn't even say that. I just said here, let's learn this song of mine and maybe add a verse to it. Sounds done to me. So I wrote a new song based on your lyrics. That never in a million years occurred to me. I think of it more, not professionally, but artistically. Mm -hmm. I learned something. And that was just a few days ago. So this is very recent. Personally, uh, I'm uh, I'm able to, I'm isolated out in the county. So I ride my bike like I'm 15 or 16. Uh, I go straight to the waterfront, uh, which is like a five-minute ride away. And I, my favorite thing to do is to ride in the waves. Because uh, people stay away from me. I'm that insane guy that rides in the water. Oh, along the beach? And I go just... right on. The, the hardest packed beach is right where the water meets the I sand. I used to love doing and that. And our beach uh, is it's three miles long. And so I just ride. And that's on Ontario? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Lake yeah, Ontario. Prince Edward County. Yeah. And what's incredible about that for me, the, the personal part, is it feeds the professional part. You got to work out too. You got to do the bike rides oh. just to get the blood flowing. You can't just stay in your room and be like, I'm going to no, no, be no, no. this prodigy and work and show you off my yeah. ninja guitar licks. Nah, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, I can ride know. no hands again. You got to um, be able to go out I'm there and uh, work out and get the blood going. And um, you need the life experience to write music, I think. You, do. you know, Unless you're writing certain electronics. I mean, but you want to tell stories and things that resonate with people. Or if you're going to sing the blues or play jazz or whatever, gospel music, it's, you know, you got to be human. Here are all the rules. Break, Break them. them. Break them. If you could choose one artist or band you'd love to perform with, mm. one artist or band you'd love to perform with, who would that be? I'd love to play bass with Queen. Okay. That would be real fun because I always thought John Deacon I don't was play like, drums, but I'd love to play drums with that. Queen. You do that. I want the backstage. Oh. Yeah, let me tell you. I'd like to play guitar and Coldplay for about six songs. All right. And do okay. the opposite of what their guy does, who's great, by the way. Okay, I have two more questions. One of them I'm stealing from Vanity Fair, who, by the way, store, stole these questions from Marcel Proust. Oh, okay. So they're not actually Good. Vanity Fair questions, but I've always wanted to ask. I, this is the first time I've asked this in the interview. If you were to die and come back as a person or a thing, what would it be? Oh, easy for me, a bird. Phil? A person one, or one, a thing. Yeah, one answer, just I'd be an eagle. Yeah, I'd, I'd go with an eagle. Okay. Fly around, you know. I'd be in the birds. You'd be in the eagles. Okay. Scoop if up you a could change rabbit. one thing about yourself, what would it be? I wish I would have been more open to working and with different artists at a younger age. Jerry? I have a song lyric that I've had for years, and it's probably my favorite personal statement, and that is, I wish I knew now what I didn't know then. <laughs> Last question. What brings you joy now? Um, 
everyday life. My uh, my wife and I, we have the ability to live our own lives. We don't have kids, so we are in a period now where there's it's been interrupted, but we'll get back to travel, meeting new people, trying new cuisine, staying healthy, uh, listening to music. I find myself, as much as I talk about how the music is, you know, it's future-oriented, uh, probably this evening I have to drive back. I have a session in the morning. I'm sure what I'll do just before I fall asleep is probably listen to Lizard by King Crimson. Put the headphones on and listen to something that uh, changes your state. You put it on, it's like for people from the 60s. Born to be wild. Oh, I know that feeling. It makes me feel like I want to get up. And mm-hmm. it still does it, even yeah, with it all of this, you know, the history it's a of that. great drive song. It is the thing that gives me joy is a great visual, a great scent, a great beat, a great whatever. So I'm just happy that I'm sitting here talking to you, my old buddy Sill. John, John in the back room. Cindy in John, the back. Cindy. Cindy, it's fantastic. I love it. It's great. I, I'm very honored that you even called me up. So? What brings me joy? Uh, waking up, <laughs> for one. That brings you joy. A good yeah, cup of coffee. I, mean, I think, yeah, you know what? I'm blessed. I, I'm I'm blessed. Making music with the people that I know I respect. And, yeah. and you know, we're all friends, but we're, we're there to make music. And just having that camaraderie, how much I really appreciate it. And the older we get, you know, we've lost a lot of people in the music industry, a lot of close friends. Yeah. And um, um, just being appreciative and taking advantage of uh, what we have here. I'm also mm-hmm. a dad, you know, so I just really want the best for my kids to grow up as happy human beings. That's it. Really simple. Beautiful. So thank you, Sil Simone. Thank you. Thank you, it's Jerry been great Mosby. To talk. It's Thank been you. wonderful. What did you do today? I just yapped for three hours. Oh, it's been That's a right. wonderful conversation. Thank you both for joining. All right. Thank you, Pat. Appreciate it. This interview was recorded at Soundhouse Studio, located on Eastern Avenue in Toronto, Canada. Owned by producer engineer John Jameson, John is also my co-editor and mixer for all the interviews we record at Soundhouse. He makes us all sound good, and me sound like I know what I'm doing. With respect for the times we live in right now, all appropriate safety measures are taken during any in-person interview recorded at Soundhouse. Many thanks go to Eddie and Quincy Bullen and Paul DeLong for writing and performing the fantastic theme music for the show. And to all of you who have tuned in to listen to what these artists have to say, thank you for taking the time and inviting us into your cars, offices, and homes. I am Pat Blythe. You're listening to Love the Music. Have a great day and a wonderful evening. Mm -hmm.